Welcome, I'm Steve Anderson, your host, here today to interview a Kentucky basketball legend during the leadership retreat for PT Pros. PT Pros is a seven-clinic physical therapy company in the state of Kentucky. Rex Chapman sat down with us to share his story of the highs and lows of a career in basketball and the struggle to find his way after he was done as a player. Chapman was a college standout at the University of Kentucky and went on to play for four National Basketball Association teams through his 12-year career. He later served as a Vice President of Player Personnel with the Denver Nuggets. Chapman was selected with the eighth overall pick in 1988 NBA draft and became the first player ever signed by the Charlotte Hornets in their franchise's history. Chapman played a total of 666 regular season NBA games, scoring 9,731 points for an average of 14.6 points per game. Rex is from Lexington, Kentucky, and still lives there today. How's everybody? Yeah? Good? Well, thanks for being here. This thanks is awesome. Happy to be the here. The state of Kentucky is a big deal. You're, you're like, a, like a legend. <laughs> well, not for all the right reasons. <laughs> you know, the odds of playing basketball, first of all, for Kentucky, and then being in the NBA for 12 years is just daunting. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested is how were you able to beat the odds and become this legendary basketball player from the state of Kentucky? Well, um, you know, I guess probably, probably for a long time in my life, I would have said that it was hard work and, and putting in the hours and all that. But really and truly, I've always been an addict. And I was a basketball addict for 30-some years. Um, it was my personality. I'm very lucky that I didn't stray into something else addiction-wise at, at a young age. But, yeah, I, I, and I also was just afraid to fail, very afraid to fail. If I was going to do something, I wanted to be the best at it that I could be. Yeah. And so, yeah, kind of, it was just a mental thing, I guess. I, I wanted to, to do well, and, and I, was, I was decent at sports, so I just kept playing. I remember a great story uh, back with these two, you know, Magic and, and Larry Bird. Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, Magic tells a story that he always felt he could always work harder than anyone else. And he did. Right. He said until he met Larry Bird. Right. And then he was like, oh my gosh, someone's working harder than I am. Yeah, have. it is. I, 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 would, I would lay awake at night sometimes in middle school and high school and I'd wake up at midnight in a panic thinking, you know, somebody on the West Coast is really working right now you know, working hard, and I'm sitting here in the bed asleep. I need to be up doing something. So that was kind of my mindset. Well, it intrigues me that, that we as, um, uh, I want to say common folk, <laughs> we as, as just, you know, watching people like you that, that reach this high level, uh, sometimes I worry, do we, do we admire and, and, and kind of really look at people that, that are reaching these high levels to the point where, um, it's not it's not healthy and you look at entertainers you look at people in music you look at whatever and we so admire those people but uh, as you I think are hinting there's some issues yeah you know hey I, I've uh, since since I was about 15 I started being recognized here here in the, in the state and so I've, I've grown up kind of in the spotlight and um, you know the one thing that you find out uh, is that People, 
when someone sees you playing on television or follows you, um, they just associate that with you, yeah. just basketball. And you know, there's so much more to Without people. getting to know you personally. Right. It's and more, so yeah. when I see, especially when I was younger, when I would see people and I didn't respond to them as in the manner they were responding to me, yeah. um, and it was just because I didn't know them. I didn't know them. They felt like they knew me. And so then I had to, st I had to learn that, hey, you know, I've, that's part of this whole thing. I've got to kind of step my game up and be more friendly. And, and, but it took a, lot, a long time to learn those things. There's a great, uh, great song by James Taylor where he says, it's so weird that everyone calls you by name your first name like they know you and yeah. you're like I have no yeah. idea who this person is so that's yeah. that's uh, that's yeah. interesting so did you miss that when you were out of the game was it was that hard to be recognized that way or talked with that way and then all of a sudden the 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 spotlight is not there as much it, it really wasn't and the only reason I say that is because I I think when I retired from playing and right around that time I developed an opioid opiate problem uh, I think I was just sort of tired of of being recognized and and uh, for years I ended up isolating myself for the most part and uh, I guess kind of taking a break from being me and it was very very unhealthy and it almost killed me. So when you were at Kentucky you were there for two years and then you went into the NBA. Uh -huh. I'm curious as to why you made that decision and do you think it was the the right decision? Uh, it was a difficult decision. I didn't grow up thinking I was going to play in the NBA. I, I grew up hoping, uh, working, hoping that I would be able to get a scholarship uh, so my folks wouldn't have to pay for an education. And I didn't even know what that really meant. Um, I just knew from the time I was young, hearing my folks talk about college education and how they were going to pay for it and this and that. So I knew that was sort of a, a stressor for them and I wanted to take that away from them. When I, when I was able to do that, uh, you know, I got to college and, and by that time, you know, I guess people, others started thinking that maybe I, I would play professionally. Uh, played two years here. It was great fun, stressful, but um, I was going to be a, a top top 10 pick and the time was right physically no problem I physically I could handle playing in the NBA emotionally I probably wasn't ready we were going on probation here um, and the writing was sort of on the wall <laughs> yeah that's yeah. time to move on yeah. now when you did go in the NBA you played uh, 12 years mm -hmm. and uh, I think I um, read where you had seven surgeries during those 12 years my last three years, I had seven surgeries. Last three years, okay. So do you think, if you look at the NBA right now, is, uh, um, are there too many games? Are, 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 is there too much expected out of the athletes to do that in a day in or day out? Or do you just think it's uh, just part of the game? Um, it's definitely too much. I mean, 82 games a season. You play eight exhibition games, and then that's not including if you play, you know, you can play... 30 playoff games yeah. so and then you're practicing so it's definitely too much physically the human body's not I don't think that it was created to do what professional athletes do high school all right for a while maybe college a few years yeah. but the miles add up 
You know, uh, we had a big kid the other night for the Knicks, uh, Kristaps Porzingis. I don't know if you guys saw that. He, seven foot three, 20 years old. He's fantastic. He went in and dunked a ball the other night, came down, non-contact, tore his ACL. So now he doesn't really know it yet, but he's going, this is his first injury. Um, he's going to be out for six, to, six months to a year. Um, and then he's going to try to come back and play, and he's going to try to play for another 15 years. And he's going to have problems physically. He's just going to – all guys that play professional sports have, have, a myriad, have myriad injuries and things that they're maintaining every single night. Nobody feels good out there. Not really. Yeah. 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 So it's definitely too much. But it's a great way to make a living. Yeah. Well, it's exciting. You're in the spotlight. Those yeah, are the positives. But you can't do it forever. You can't right? do it so forever. you got to take advantage. Yeah. Getting back to the basketball, what was your uh, highlight of your career and what was maybe your lowest? Uh, I don't know what my highlight would be. Uh, lowest, just as a, and this will be, I played a lot of basketball games. Uh, the the one that hurt the most was my my junior year in high school. We won the, won our region and went to the state tournament. And I was the, the for sure the best player in the state those couple years, last couple years. And uh, my teammates, it was it was the greatest. You know, a bunch of guys who are and they're still some of my best, my best friends, who I who got to play in Rupp Arena. I loved it for them. I was Mr. Basket, gonna be Mr. Basketball the next year, and we played the next year, and our crosstown rival, Owensboro High School, we played each other 10 times my last two years. They won five, and we won five, and we were the number one and two teams in the state in the same district in Owensboro, and we blindly drew each other in the first round of the district my senior year and they beat us on a last second shot. And it's still the most devastating loss I've ever had to this day. Uh, and mostly because I feel like I let my teammates down. I was really, at the time, I was an NBA player playing in high school and couldn't win a district game. <laughs> against a bunch of high schoolers. But isn't that uh, profound that that's still in your cross? Oh, like, every yeah. time I see my buddies, all every time, I just right away go, sorry guys, I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh gosh, that's, so um, are there still springs in those legs? I mean, you could get up. You know, there really aren't. Uh, I, I, my ego though, uh, compels me to try to dunk at least once every year. And I did it at 49. And when I say I did it, it just sneaked over the rim. Uh, so I turned 50 this year. I think I shouldn't do it anymore because yeah. it's not worth the risk. Because no, it's just a blown Achilles waiting. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So you you mentioned it earlier. So I'm going to bring up now. So with these injuries mm -hmm. and with this demand and whatever, uh, you develop an opioid uh, issue. Yeah. And can you just share us a sure. little bit about uh, how the journey went and was it, uh, I'm interested to know at what time you knew you were in trouble. Mm. Yeah, um, I was a, 
I, I first alcohol I had, I was 22. I came to Kentucky. I couldn't get into any bars here. They wouldn't let me into any bars. My teammates would get in, but they'd say, Rex, if somebody sees you in here, we'll get our liquor license taken. So I wasn't allowed to go into any bars. And, uh, so therefore I didn't in, in college. I, I didn't, I would go to the gym and shoot or play or whatever with a couple buddies. Wasn't the most normal college experience, but um, yeah, I, I wasn't a party guy. I wasn't a um, someone out seeking that sort of uh, behavior. Um, but I had seven surgeries. My last three years, a rod in my shin, metal in my ankle. I tore my Achilles, uh, screw in my wrist, fused thumbs and fingers, and. And that was, it all just kind of happened at once. And, uh, but all through that, you know, I'd get out of surgeries and, you know, you'd have a prescription for Vicodin or whatever it was, and I never took them. Because I always knew I needed to know exactly how I felt um, so I could get so back out there. So you were aware of the, the hazard from the get-go? I don't think so. I, I just knew that. I, I, I'm sure I'd had some after surgery, but it, I didn't like it. It, you know, but I was playing and I was still trying to play. Um, when I finished playing my very last surgery, I knew I was retiring at the end of the season. With about 10 games to go, I had an emergency appendectomy, and we were in Oakland going to play the Warriors. Took me to the hospital, said you got to have an appendectomy. They did that. I got back to Phoenix and our doctor, or I shouldn't say our doctor, a doctor gave, it, gave me a prescription for this new, this was, this was uh, 2000, for this new sort of uh, pain relief called OxyContin and gave me a, a prescription, three a day for 30 days. I wasn't gonna play basketball anymore. Uh, I was also, like a lot of people, challenging marriage, four little kids, and I took that OxyContin, and within two days I was in love. Um, it was a a feeling like uh, you know, I it was sort of a euphoria feeling, euphoric feeling, but one in that really bad thoughts are fleeting and they they go right away and the good thoughts kind of hang around more and you live in this sort of world of uh, it'll be all right okay. it'll be all right and then slowly but surely it's not it's definitely not all right to answer your question about a year and a half after that and it was only because a friend of mine uh, uh, Danny Ainge with Celtics came and said, you, you got a big problem. You got to go away somewhere. And at the time I was taking 40 Vicodin a day and probably 10 Oxycontin a day um, and chewing them up. And, you know, cause it would, a little bit would stay in my teeth and like a true addict. So that was it. I went away to rehab for 30 days, never touched OxyContin again, um, but within a year, back to Vicodin. Six months after that, back to rehab, 
And then I got out, a doctor put me on Suboxone, and I was on Suboxone for 10 years. And uh, life got really, really so bad. So how does, how does someone get access to that much medication at the height when you're taking 40 a day and 10 a day? And is, well, it, is it doctors that obviously, are Obviously, in the beginning, yeah, it's doctors. And, and then it's multiple doctors. And listen, I, I could go to the phone book right now. That, and most people know me here. They know my story. I could go and I promise you in 20 minutes I can find three doctors that if you want to write a prescription, if you want to write them a check or give them $150, you can walk out of there with a prescription. So do you think your celebrity added to that ability because they yes. know you and whatever yes. that they're going to stretch the rules a little yes. bit for that? Yeah. But then it becomes, there's, there's just, you've hit this doctor too often, you've and then all of a sudden you go to buying them off the street. And that's how yeah. I would. Now, when I say that, uh, off the street with this type of medication, many times, and when you're looking for that sort of quantity, um, it co they come right out the back of the pharmacy to whoever it is. The pharmacies order too much, and then that's their side business. Yeah. And that's how the whole thing, I would, I would uh, drive and go, and I'd pay, I don't know, five, six, seven thousand dollars for two big 500 quantity bottles of, and then, hey, and then I got to drive home. And if I happen to be pulled over, guess what? Straight to prison. Um, that's with that kind of quantity. I mean, you're, that's intent, with intent to distribute, more than likely. So, all kinds of dumb and and uh, foggy, uh, but yeah. So being an athlete your entire life, did it ever occur to you that the way out of this might be through exercise or anything like that as opposed to taking the drug, or does the drug just take over? The drug takes over. Um, I know now. I know it's, you know, I also, during that, from 2000 to 2014, I went from being about 190 pounds to 260 pounds, and just, unhealthy, physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, it's been the last three years that I went back to rehab in 2014 and um, uh, haven't, no, no. So what was the difference the third time? Probably I was at rock bottom. I was embarrassed. I'd embarrassed my children. Um, um, it was just, I guess, time for me. And I don't, I don't know how to put it any other way than that. Um, I'm an experienced rehabber at this point, and I've, I've been a few times, and when you're in there, uh, you start seeing the people that you know are gonna be in and out, and the people who are sort of ready to, to do it. And listen, it's, it's hard. I've, I've gotten into a routine of trying to stay busy but also doing these sorts of things because it keeps me honest, it helps keep me honest. Um, you know, I can't go in and talk to a bunch of addicts if I'm really not walking the walk. And um, I, I don't want to go back there. You know, I don't want to, all that stuff's hard. It's too hard to go through. And I just don't want that anymore. 
it, it's difficult when you've got a, I, I'm, I have a brain that's, from the time I was little, my mom would even say it, I needed to be entertained all the time or needed to be doing something. My whole childhood, I remember, I'm bored. I'm bored. My mom, and I can hear it to this day, it still grates on me. It's good to be bored sometimes. Oh, really? <laughs> Tell my brain. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, my, you know, it's always been a struggle. Very good brain for competing and, and wanting to embarrass you on the basketball floor. Great brain for that. Also, asshole brain. Um, not the greatest brain outside of sports. It's a difficult brain, and uh, um, that's taken time to, to dial down over the last 20 years. So now that you understand that and, and understand it very well, what's the future look like for you uh, channeling that? Oh, um, I'm excited, and I can tell you this, for, for 15 years from the time I finished playing, um, I didn't know, I, I really, I knew that I shouldn't, it was so confusing. I was being told, listen, you, this Suboxone is not only helping with your opioid, opiate problem, it's really good for your arthritis. Okay, no. I think I deep down knew it, but I was so far down that rabbit hole that I, I couldn't see out. And so I knew that I, I wasn't optimistic about life. I just wasn't. I didn't, you know, and through a, whatever course of events, I was able to somehow come out alive. Um, you know, somebody taking 50 pills a day and, yeah. and especially, you know, 20% of them being Oxycontin. I should have died and OD'd a, a long time ago. So I'm very fortunate to be here. I'm fortunate to be able to, you know, share a little bit of this stuff with people who might take something from it. I can remember sitting in rehab and, and you know, there were a couple times that people said things. You hear a lot of people speak, but a couple things stick. So if something like that can stick with somebody, then good. Well, I, I think you're very brave, and, and, and we need people, spokespeople like you, to, to get the word out and, and support other alternatives than, than the, the, the pills. And yeah. so I, I, I just commend you for having the courage to do it, because it'd be easy to kind of just fade away and, and yeah. not have to deal with that. But uh, I'm, I'm luckier, I, I believe, because I, I, I lived other places, and I'm only saying that uh, for, for the reason that I I met a lot of people in my life and made good friends all over the country. And when I got out of rehab, I had places to go. I could, I could go and I was able to sort of, no, not sort of, I was able to recover with as much dignity as, as I can imagine only due to the fact that I knew. Now listen, think about it. I, when I got out, I had a uh, uh, legal, I'd gotten in trouble, I'd gotten, uh, so I had legal problems, I had no driver's license. Um, hadn't had one for 10 years. Didn't, couldn't make myself go to the DMV. 
that's the type of hole that you've, you don't want anything to do with any sort of work or, or any kind of, um, but you get out and you have problems. Now, if you get out and you're from anywhere outside of a big city in Kentucky, Lexington or Louisville, um, when you get out, many people have emptied their relatives' bank accounts. They've, you know, they've got legal problems. They only know 10 people. Four of them are cousins. They're, you know, you've screwed everybody that you know. Now what? Well, you have to eat and you can't get a job. So the first money you come, come across, you're gonna put it right back in your arm or, or you're gonna go back down that road because everything else is too daunting. And I get asked by parents a lot, you know, 18, 19 years old, he's in and out and, you know, he's got a problem and this and that. I'm just fed up and I'll go, listen, you can be fed up if you like. If you kick them out, and now I'm talking younger, you know, there comes a point, yeah, where if somebody's a real grown-up, you know, there does come a point where, you, look, I don't know that you can ever, I think it's dangerous for them to get out and be, yeah. Now, tough love, yes. Um, helping, yes. But not, not being a dummy about it. Don't be a dummy and let somebody take advantage of you. But just know, I think the other misconception is people think that, that everyone has sought this behavior. And I can just tell you whether they sought it or not, it doesn't matter. That's where they are and they're there and it doesn't matter and they're going to be there. It's, it's a whole new part of their life that they've got to manage and it takes, it takes people helping them to do it. Um, I, my, my advice would be just, just uh, be as sensitive about it as you can. Um, but also while being brutally honest. I should have probably been more sensitive about how I was saying that stuff because a lot of times when I'm doing these things, I'm talking to addicts and who've been through some of it and so they hear some of them more. So if I wasn't sensitive enough, that's on me. No, not at all. I think, it, I mean, to me, it's real authenticity and, it, and, and that's what we need to hear. I think that's what people need to hear. So it was right on, you know. And uh, are you now working uh, some way to uh, get the get the word out and yeah. help addicts? Yeah, a lot of stuff going on that, that we're doing. not quite ready to talk about. But listen, um, it's a huge problem. Yeah. Now we've got a whole segment of society going, trying to go back into the uh, everyday world. Teeth are gone from meth, from whatever it is, and for sure we, as a society. We look at these people and we're like, uh, you know, I don't want to be around that. And I don't want, it's too, it's too dirty and complicated and ugh. it's here. It's here and we can ignore it or we can try to, try to help. And, you know, I, I feel, I just feel like I should try to, try to help. I, I don't like talking about it all the time. Uh, I don't, I can remember being in rehab and I can remember people telling me even after rehab, 
you don't even know you're going to be great and you're going to want it that and me being adamant that i don't want this to be my story i do not want it's not that's not what i'm doing guess what i'm doing and you walked in today and the first my first thought was man you look fit you look oh, great so well, I, I can tell you this this is thank you but this is a, a product of swimming and massage and taking care, trying to take care of myself uh, after a lot of years of neglect diet. I'm, look, I'm the biggest fan of, of, of physical therapy. I really am. Uh, I spent as much time my last four or five years in the training room as I did in, on the basketball floor. Um, one of my best friends is the head trainer for the Phoenix Suns, Aaron Nelson. And so I, I know what you guys do. And um, it really is uh, sort of the path, it, not sort of, the opioids or the opiates uh, are, shouldn't be any part of rehab and recovery past post-op for a few days. Are you hopeful that we can reverse this problem or is it just I'm like hopeful. you're hopeful? Uh, yeah, so, yeah, because I, I know, I mean, I've, I, I've spoken a lot and been very involved with uh, our state government, uh, with our lawmakers. And I think that, I think that people are ready to work together. You know, it's not a, it's not a partisan issue. It's, it's a human issue. And it's killing everybody in this area of the country. Um, and that's not an exaggeration. We lose over 100 people a day nationwide, and four or five people every day in Kentucky die from it. Every single day. And it's 60,000 people a year. Come on. And so I think, our, I think our, our government is starting to get it. And look, the more people that can put a face on it, um, the the better. So you've been you've been clean now. Is that the right word? Three years. Yep. Okay, it's the clean. right word. Yeah. Okay. Clean for three years. Um, yeah. Um, is it true that it's still you think about it all the time? I no, mean, I, I you really don't. don't. You, you don't. Uh, okay. it, but listen, I can I can say this. Uh, it's it's hard. Uh, I don't know that I have it as hard as a lot because I never, for some reason, well, because I had the, the financial wherewithal to obtain pills, I didn't put a needle in my arm. Okay. Once you put a needle in your arm, I think that something changes and, and it's very, and from what I understand, that feeling, uh, the physical feeling is, it's much more intense and enjoyable. Um, and I can't even imagine what that feels like. Um, I really can't because it's, uh, but I feel like I'm lucky in that. I, well, I'm definitely lucky in that I don't have cravings. No, you, you, I did for, I don't, here and there, but they were, they were cravings. It was, I had, I'm so lucky in that I was able to piece this together. 
They were really only cravings when things were stressful and bad. And I knew that my, it was, my emotions were, were craving it. And, and it wasn't the physical anymore. It was about wanting to run and hide from my, from my feelings. And I still don't like, I still keeping them at bay. I still like keeping my emotions at bay, but I work at it. Yeah. Well, that's probably not that unusual for <laughs> yeah. humankind, right? right so, right, yeah. Right. Well, to kind of wind up here, yeah. um, you know, you've been at the highest high. You just oh, described really? the lowest yeah. low. Yes. And, uh, you know, uh, just as a parting uh, comment here, what, what's your word of wisdom uh, kind of relating to leadership? That's what we're all here this weekend talking about is leadership. And, and what can you tell us having experienced those two extremes of going forward? I'm not sure. I think that being a, you guys have such an opportunity to help uh, people feel better, and you know, there's just nothing, there's nothing quite like that uh, ability to be able to put out your hand and and help someone else. And listen, physical pain is uh, it's it's tough, and um, you know, unfortunately, we have I think an un, un unhealthy view of how to get back to feeling good right now um, with I don't know that medication is involved so you know I'm a big proponent of acupuncture and physical therapy and massage and and that and I swim a lot now um, it's the only thing I feel like I can do or do do that uh, I don't just dread <laughs> so I you know, words of wisdom, I don't know that I've got a lot of them, but um, I think that you guys are doing a great job, and, and I appreciate everything that you do. Well, again, we appreciate your uh, vulnerability, your authenticity, and sharing your story with us. And thanks for being here with us today. We really thanks appreciate it. So, thank you. Thanks, guys.